0: Today is Trinity Sunday, a Sunday set apart to remember that we espouse the doctrine that God is three persons in one being. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, as the old church used to say, or as we say today, God the Holy Spirit. The church came to this conclusion by wrestling with the Scriptures, and by wrestling with Jesus's Prayers where he referred to himself and the Father as one. Asking themselves, what does this mean? Asking themselves, what does it mean that God, that Jesus, the Son of God, has called us to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Not the names, but the name. Wrestling with the syntax of the language that he used, wrestling with the words he said and the things that they had seen. And the early church in the 300s formulated this doctrine that seems so apparent in the Scriptures as the church struggled for hundreds of years to understand the Jesus event fully. Now if anyone ever says that they can explain the Trinity to you, run from them. You're about to hear a heresy. <laughs> so what I offer you is not an explanation But a formula that the church has used to explain what seems obvious from the Scriptures but seems not comprehensible to the mind. That three persons could be one being. That God can be at the same time Father and God can be at the same time Son and at the same time Holy Spirit. But if you read the New Testament with that in mind, you find that it does seem to fit. And so the church has espoused this doctrine. Otherwise, we would not be able to worship Jesus the Christ because we worship God alone, the Scripture tells us. Otherwise, we would not be able to worship the Spirit of God because we worship God alone. So today, we remember the Holy Trinity. The text that I am about to read to you was formative in the early church's thinking about the Trinity. For in it, God is said not to just be holy, but three times holy, or thrice holy, as one of the early church fathers said. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And then you have the call of God, where God says, who will go for us? Or whom shall we send, depending on the translation. But that's not what we're going to take up in the sermon or we're going to take up in the sermons the idea of uncertainty. But it bears mention since this day we remember this important doctrine of the church. So I invite you to hear a reading from Isaiah, the sixth chapter, beginning with the first verse. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of His robe filled the temple seraphs were in attendance above him each had six wings with two they covered their faces with two they covered their feet and with two they flew and one called to another and said holy 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 is the Lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called and the house filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me And he said, go and say to this people, keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Oswald Chambers wrote a widely used devotional book. It might be the most used devotional book in history. I'm not certain of that. But you might have heard of it, My Utmost for His Highest. Any of you familiar with that? It sold a bazillion copies or something like that. Oswald Chambers said this about this text. He said, God did not direct his call to Isaiah. Isaiah overheard God saying, Who will go for us? The call of God here is not just for a select few, but for everyone. Isaiah is given a temple of the throne room of God. Whether he sees the presence of God in the physical temple or not isn't exactly clear from the text, but it really doesn't matter for the story. What Isaiah is given is the vision that the people need for Isaiah to have. And here's why. They've had 40 pretty good years. King Uzziah, Uzziah has been a pretty good king. They've had some flourishing in Judah. They've been prosperous. They've not been threatened. Things have been pretty good. But now the king has died and uncertainty has swept across the land. The Assyrians are massing and threatening to come and conquer. And the people are uncertain about their very future, their very existence. They're uncertain about everything about themselves. Because the king is dead. Which means, dear ones, that they had forgotten who the king really was. Who the true king is. They had put their faith in this earthly king, this man Uzziah, because things went pretty well while he was in power. But now that he's gone, they think all is lost. Woe is us. Whatever will we do now? Sounds like campaign season in America, doesn't it? Oh, if we don't get elected, you're going to die. But if we don't get elected, you're going to die. Uncertainty. Compounded by their unfaithfulness. The first five chapters of this book of Isaiah tell us of the things that they were dealing with in Judea. They had forgotten and forsaken the Lord, you're told in chapter 1, verse 4. Their worship had become futile, which means it made no difference for them and it did not appeal to God. That corruption marked their leadership. Greed had led to injustice in the land of Judah, meaning that they didn't care about their neighbors. They weren't remembering that second most important law of God that they loved their neighbor as themselves. They were loving themselves and getting everything they wanted and giving nothing to anyone else. Greed had become their God. And then comes the political crisis to cap it all off. And here are a people who have forgotten that God is king. That God is Lord. That the Lord sits enthroned and cannot be moved. And they're freaked out because their candidate lost. Because their king is dead. And uncertainty sweeps over the land. And in that moment, Isaiah is given a vision. And I wonder if you heard... He said, My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is given the vision that the people need that God is still King and God is still enthroned, that God still loves and cares for the people and longs for the people to return to Him. So the question that God asked in the heavens is Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Who will go to this people? And speak to them. And draw them back to God. This is not just an Israel problem. All across history, sometimes the people of God have become so enamored with their political, their social, their religious leaders that they've forgotten who it is that we worship. They've forgotten who it is that sits on the true throne of power. They've forgotten who it is in whose hands we entrust ourselves. If we wait for Congress to give us confidence that we will be okay, we will live in uncertainty for the rest of our lives. If we wait for a president to give us certainty that we will be okay, we will live in uncertainty for the rest of our lives. Indeed, if we wait for religious structures to give us certainty, then we will be uncertain for the rest of our lives. For all that can give us certainty, dear ones, is to hear the call of God. Who will go for us? And to see God seated on the throne. And so the Christian story says that God sent His only begotten Son, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, to come to us and to reveal that God is still on the throne and that God will act against sin and death and all of the powers of this world that bring uncertainty against the people of God and threaten our existence and our very hope for life. And Jesus took all of those uncertainties on Himself and laid Himself on a cross for us. To give us certainty that God loves us and that God is for us. And if God is truly for us, who can be against us? And why must we feel any uncertainty at all? For it is God on the throne, not the pastor. It is God on the throne, not the bishop. It is God on the throne, not the general conference. And only God can hold us securely. There is much uncertainty in our lives today, dear ones. Political uncertainty. Moral uncertainty. Even the notion that there is anything true is under attack. At the same time that we're called to be tolerant, we're called to cancel. At the same time that we're called to forgive, we're called to have vengeance against those who offend us. But what does God say? Love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If we want certainty, it will not come, it will not come by trusting the world's powers. I was moved by this Picture this week and I meant to have that up for you for a good while but I got kind of sidetracked by the fact that I had to go get batteries you know it happens think about what Isaiah was going through he's terrified for himself before God because he's a man of unclean lips he knows that he's a sinner and all he deserves is God's condemnation but here he's being given a vision of God and of the holy throne of God and not only that, but he knows that he's, he's a man of a people of unclean lips, that his whole people have gone astray. But what does God do? Does God slap him down, beat him down, talk bad about him, tell him he's worthless? No. God sends the seraph with a live coal from the fire to purify him so that he can hear God calling. Dear ones, a coal was sent to us, the risen Christ, to touch our lips and heal us of our sinfulness so that we can hear God's call and hear it as something other than a threat to our lives. It may not be popular to hear, but your wealth and your prosperity and your security in this life are not what are important to God. What is most important to God about you is that you serve to bear witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus in this world. That is why God has a church. Not to give you a place to feel comfortable or social or any of that kind of stuff, but to give you a place to be prepared, to be sent out, to speak the good word of Jesus Christ. You, like Isaiah, are here today in the presence of God to hear a call to be reminded that there is a purpose for you to worship God and to tell others about what God has done for us. That the uncertainty we feel in this age, when our nation feels under attack, when the church feels under attack, when our denomination feels under attack, when our very communities feel beset by hatred and selfishness, In this uncertainty, God stands in the midst of us today and says, Why are you afraid? You are my people. I sit on the throne. Why should you fear? And God cries out today in the midst of us, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Who will bear witness in this rotten world of the goodness of God, the love of Christ, the grace of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit to deliver us from all of the things that make us uncertain, from the sin and death that ensnare and entangle us and cause us to want to serve ourselves and think about ourselves, cause us to want to be right all the time. And if we're not right, then we'll just take our ball and go home. We won't participate in something that's not done exactly the way we want it. And all of those crazy little things that sneak into the church, that cause uncertainty of hope that causes us to be distracted from our mission which is to proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus and to make disciples for Him to bring other people to new life So I wonder why have churches split over simple things like colors of carpet, whether or not to put a chandelier in the church. It could only be because those churches were distracted from their mission. There is nothing more important in our lives than speaking of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And our life together as the church is but for one purpose, to speak that message. To proclaim the goodness and the love of God for all people. And if we're doing anything other than that, it's a waste of time. If something we're doing doesn't match that, it's a waste of time. But in our uncertainties, we worry will God continue to use us? Will people come back to the church after this is all over? Will our church split in the August of 2021? Will my denomination still exist? Will people leave the church if it splits? Is there a recession coming? How much longer can the government spend itself into oblivion? Are the North Koreans really threatening nuclear war? Is Iran truly up to something? Are there terrorists here in America? What about all the kids that are getting thrown over walls? Will my kids get caught up in sex slavery? Will another person be arrested unfairly? Will another person be beaten unfairly? Will another cop be accused unfairly? All the while, the devil seeks to divide us. To destroy our confidence that God is on the throne. In every moment, in every one of those news stories, the claws of the devil are apparent to me. He seeks to divide the church on things that shouldn't rise to dividing the church. He seeks to put fear in our hearts. He seeks to distract us from the thing that truly matters in life, which is our relationship with Jesus. He seeks to convince us that it's better to go golfing on a Sunday than to go to worship. He seeks to convince us that I can worship on the bow of my boat, but do you know I never have? I've sang hymns and stuff and prayed, but I've never just had a full day of worship on my boat. All of those things, those distractions, those uncertainties that settle in front of us today seem kind of overwhelming to me. And so I'm thankful today for this vision of God on the throne of the Almighty Creator who will not be moved. I'm thankful for Isaiah's words that even as uncertain as we feel, even as uncertain things may be, Isaiah, a man of unclean lips, saw the king the lord of hosts what are you uncertain about church i've named some of mine for you i tried to maybe get some of yours but what are you uncertain about what things haunt you before you lay down at night do you worry for your grandchildren Do you wonder if freedom can survive? Do you worry that so many people seem to take our rights for granted? Do you worry that the church will fall away? What unsettles your heart? Please hear me today. Christ is stronger than those uncertainties. And God the Father is still on the throne. The risen Christ is still risen. And sin and death are still defeated. And the Holy Spirit works among us and lives in you. You need not be uncertain, you need not be afraid. Because in the midst of uncertainty, God is still calling. And if God is still calling, then that means maybe God is calling you. To be a person who speaks not of uncertainty, but the certainty of the peace that Christ offers us, even as things seem to be unraveling. We need not be afraid. The King is still on the throne. The true King still reigns. I promise you this. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.